Welcome to the next episode of the Sitcom Archive Deep Dive Overdrive, or Saddo for short. My name is Alison Barton-Simmons and I'm your co-host and here's our other co-host, Eggs Benedict. I am here. (laughs) (laughs) Have you been practising that all week? That is ace. Yeah, I've been trying to add to my my Boise. Uh, What else does he say, Boise? Other than Marlene... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, for God's sake, Marlene! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can feel the effort. I can feel the effort you've put into that. That's ace. Uh, you will never stop me doing that now. <laughs> Good. Good. That's fine. Absolutely fine. So, yes, welcome to the next episode. We're on Series 2, Episode 3 of Faulty Towers. Waldorf Salad mm. is the episode that we're going to deep dive this week. The horrible Mr. Hamilton. Yeah, he's, he's, um, I, I often find it difficult when someone's American to sort of say, what is it that's American about them when you look at them? Mm. But he just looked, he looked ultra American, I thought. Not in a bad way or anything. I just think there were just certain, I don't know whether his features, his mannerisms, his voice, obviously his voice because he's American. It's difficult when you, you know, know I mean? though, isn't it? Mm. I mean, you know this character. But I think if, if, if there was a lineup of people, I think you would say that he was the archetypal American looking person. But that, that works with you with other people, doesn't it? You can spot a scouser from 20 paces as well, can't you? I think so. Yeah. I think so because, oh, I'm just going to take get yourself in trouble. A, it's a very militant there. city. I'll just say yes. Yes. It is possible. Yeah, I've been watching um, Stephen Graham things this week. Oh, blimey. Are you okay? Oh, it's left me emotionally drained. Yeah, I watched bloody... No wonder you've got a headache. I know. I watched the prison one with Sean Bean, and I watched the one in the in the nursing home with Jodie Comer as well. Oh. And I'm bereft. I bet you are. I needed some light entertainment from Basil Fawlty to, to mm. hurt me up a bit after all that. Bloody hell. Very good, though. Both they are. So that's not even, that's not English, is it? Very good. They both, <laughs> both are. They are. Did you enjoy the um, the prison one, the Sean Bean one? Enjoy is the wrong word, isn't it? I don't know. Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I watched all three back to back. You know, it's like um, oh my god, like this is England, where yeah. it's just like now I've got to put another one, got to put another one. So I watched, yeah. I watched all three back to back, but yeah, it's just a bit. Hard going, isn't it? Yeah, we we would struggle to make a light and fun podcast out of those type of shows. Yeah, we? we imagine we tried to do a, a light and fun, frivolous podcast on the work of Shane Meadows or something. Oh God, <sighs> I reckon that like Stephen Graham must just when he's finished filming, he must just go home and lie on his bed and watch Friends. You know, just something like a like cozy, like we were talking about last week, where you mm. can just put something on and watch it back to back just for the the cheeriness of it. He probably does now because I did read an interview with him where he was saying that. Um, he lost himself in the character of Combo in This Is oh, England God. and he couldn't yeah. switch off and it, he just sort of felt himself. He wasn't himself. He couldn't get out of character afterwards. I can imagine. Imagine going home like that. That's one of the, um, of all the characters in all the TV shows and films that I've seen over the years, that is a character that sticks with me, that I can't, I can't shake yeah. Combo off at all. He just sticks with you, doesn't he? It's that it's that well done. He's obviously such a, an amazing actor that it's hard to it's hard to shake. I think. Yes, but um, let's not dwell on the work of Stephen Graham any longer. He's brilliant though he is. I mean, there's probably a lot of Americans listening to like going, "Who's this guy?" But if you think Boardwalk Empire, Al Capone, yeah, and many other things, probably, in my opinion, he's probably Britain's best actor, possibly even ever. Yeah, he's fantastic. I so agree. look him up when you are. Not in the mood for something light and fluffy. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah, doesn't tend to absolutely. do light and fluffy, does he? He doesn't. But back to the podcast. Yes, yeah. Have you got a quiz for us this week, have you, Al? I have got a quiz. We have moved into the second series of Fault Towers, which took place four years after the first ep- the first um, series, and we're now in 1979. So I've got a quiz. I've got a, a, a good old ten questions here to, to ask ten you Ten questions, bloody um, hell. Ten questions regarding the year nineteen seventy nine. It's just general, general sort of knowledge quiz. Yep. Lots, lots in there to think about. So, do you want to take it? Do you want to, do you want to have a go? I'll have a go, but I don't hold out much hopes, given I was two. But uh, <laughs> I think I think you're okay. Okay. Do you want me to keep a tally of your of your score? Yeah, you keep a tally. I'm sure that I won't get anywhere near Stephen Hall's eight out of ten on Faulty Towers. Well, let's give it a go. I'm ready. Okay, number one. 
which London Underground Line was inaugurated in the year 1979? Was it the Central Line, the Jubilee Line, the Metropolitan Line, or Hammersmith in City? Does Jubilee mean 100 or 50? Um, I think you can have like a Jubilee... You can have like a 25th Jubilee, you can have a 50th Jubilee, oh, okay. I think. I don't think it's a specific time frame, I don't think. Yeah. Oh, I was trying to think if it was commemorating like the Queen's 50th, but then she wouldn't have been coronated in 1920 anyway, would she? So I'll, I'll say, was it Hammer? What was the last one? The Ham- Hammersmith line? Hammersmith in City. Yeah, I'll go, for, I'll go for that one. I'm sorry, you're incorrect. You were on the right lines. Oh. It was... The Jubilee was in 1977, 25th Jubilee of the Queen. Right. So I'm guessing it was something that was organised then and then built and then it was opened in... Ah, I see. 79, two years later. Sorry. Oh, well. (laughs) That's where you think about things too long because I was on the right line and I convinced myself out of it, didn't I? Um, Here's quite a relevant question. In cricket, which nation won the World Cup in 1979? Was it Canada... Was it the West Indies? Was it New Zealand? Or was it England? Fucking, fucking cricket. Oh. Well, you see, you said that's relevant. It could be Canada. Yeah, the major. But the, it's the, I'm, t- I'm thinking sort of along the lines of the major. Oh, right, West Indies then. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say it could be Canada because the guy who plays Mr. Hamilton's Canadian, isn't he? He is. He is, but no, no. I was thinking more of, of of the major. Well, thanks for the clue. I wouldn't probably wouldn't have got it. It's okay. Well, thinking about it, okay. Canada aren't known as a great cricketing nation. Are they? I don't think I've ever seen the Canadian cricket team. Although no. I'm not a big fan of cricket, so I wouldn't do. Number three. In what country was the USA embassy occupied and hostages taken in 1979? Was it Uganda? Was it Burma? Was it Iran? Or was it Libya? Iran. It was Iran. It was Iran. Was that which, the subject of a um, movie with Ben Affleck? It was, Argo. I've not seen it, but I love that. yeah. I love that film. I really like that film. I'll have to watch it. Yeah, it is good. Number four, what TV series won the Emmy Award for Outstanding Drama Series for 1978-79? Was it The Rockford Files? Was it Lou Grant? Was it Kojak? Or was it Sent Elsewhere? What's the last one? Sent Elsewhere? Sent Elsewhere. Well, I wouldn't have said the Rockford Files. Okay. But I might be wrong. And I only ever refer to the Rockford Files now as ramming slang for piles, of course. Okay. Uh, what was it, one? Love Boat? <laughs> no, Lou, Gr- Lou Grant. Lou Grant. Or Kojak. Yeah. <laughs> no, not Kojak. I'll go for that last one. Sent elsewhere? Yeah. It wasn't, I'm afraid. It was Lou Grant. No, oh, that would have been a... my second one. Damn it. It was a, that was a spin-off from the uh, Mary Tyler Moore show. Ah, okay. Sent Elsewhere was weird. It all ended really strangely, where it all turned out to be a dream. Okay, number five. Which kid-friendly TV network was born in 1979? Nickelodeon. Was it? Yeah. Well done. <laughs> I just thought I'd save some time. <laughs> well done, yes. Did you know that? Or did you I just, did, yeah. Is that the only one that you know? Oh, cool. Which of these, or oh, this is number six, which of these horror movies was a big hit in 1979? Was it The Exorcist, Scream, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, or The Amityville Horror? It'll either be The Exorcist or The Amityville Horror. Horror? 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 Horror. I think, and I think I will go for The Exorcist. Oh. Was it, it the was other 50? one? It was the other one. <sighs> Never mind. Do you know, I'm like that guy who's on the quiz machine. He always pretends he knows things by going, well, it's definitely one of them two. And then when you get it wrong, you go, oh, yeah, it was the other one. Oh, but, but 50-50, isn't it? It could pay off. Uh, number seven, what was the name of the cute, sweet-smelling doll that went on sale in 1979? Was it Lucy Lemon Drop, Molly Melonhead, Strawberry Shortcake, or Melanie Muffins? Melanie Muffins sounds like a, a wrong type of doll, doesn't it? Some type of thing that Del Boy had in the back of his car that <laughs> yeah, self-inflated. Like yeah. <laughs> no, I'm going to... I think Melanie Muffins you've made up in your mischievous sense of humour. Give me the other three again. Uh, Lucy Lemon Drop, Molly, Melonhead, Strawberry Shortcake. Strawberry Shortcake. It was Strawberry Shortcake. 
It was. I had one of these mm. and she had a big hat on. All this like bright red hair that she had on top of her head. And she smelt like strawberries. And one day I got up and I gave my strawberry shortcake doll a skinhead. And I cut all <laughs> the hair off. And then tried to hide it because she had this like massive hat that fitted over her head and then all the hair fitted inside. Yeah. Uh, my mum didn't find out for ages because she a little bald head then was inside this massive hat and she looked no different until you pulled the hat off and she just had spiky, spiky red hair underneath it. I was going to say that it grown back by the time she found out. <laughs> I prayed it would. Oh, I know, Mum, she's got alopecia. Oh, I got well done. I got Did so you? done. Yeah. That's funny because yeah. I had a Melanie Muffins. When I was about 25. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> no. Did you give her a trim? <laughs> oh, the lady garden. Number, number eight. Yeah. Oh, what was the cost of a Sony Walkman in 1979 when it was first introduced? I think it was introduced just before 1979. Was it $150, $300, $200 or $425? US. Yes. I will say it's things were really expensive, weren't they? Though, remember like VHS and yeah, technology was expensive. Mm. Even now, you look at it and you go, "Whoa!" So I'm going to say the two hundred and whatever it was, two hundred and fifty, was it? Uh, two hundred, three hundred, four two five, or one fifty. Well, I'm going to go two hundred. It was one fifty. Oh. I remember having one of them the first time I yeah. had one in my year. Uh, my Auntie Irene was looking at it. She says, what have you got there? Mm. said, a Walkman. A Walkman? Yeah. <laughs> a Walkman. Who who made that? I said, Sony. She, Tommy! No. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a fucking toy. <laughs> I loved my Walkman. Mm, they were great, weren't they? They were. Tapes are, tapes are making a comeback. This is something very, very strange that I'm, I'm sort of only just discovered recently. That... Tapes are now, they're now producing not only like music on download, um, you can buy them on CD again and vinyl, which has obviously been, mm. been back for quite a while, but tapes, which were like an arse ache to, to listen to and then you get to the end of it and you have to rewind it and you can't just find the actual spot that you wanted. Mm. You can't just find a song that you wanted. I don't, I don't understand the faff. Again, it's all. And sound quality was never great, was it? On tapes, it wasn't. They just hissed. They just yeah. hissed, didn't they? But obviously it's, there's the retro. Do you think it's because of the coming apocalypse, people think? I'll be safe with tapes. Yeah, possibly. Mm. No, I, w- I don't see the appeal. No, I don't. It's um, an odd an odd sort of hill, I think. It's a bit mm. Stretch too far for me. Stretch too far. But there we go. I digress. Number nine. Mm-hmm. Who was the first band or musician to perform in the Soviet Union in 1979? Oh, I have a feeling I should know this. Was it Engelbert Humpty Dick? Humpty Dick. Engelbert Humpty Dick. Did he fall off the Eastern Block? Did he? <laughs> he fell off. He fell off the Berlin Wall. Was it Engelbert Humpty Dick, Blondie, Elton John, or Pink Floyd? Uh. Pink Floyd did a song about a wall as well, didn't he? Um, yep. Elton John. It was Elton John. Well done. Yeah, I had a feeling I knew that, but I don't quite know what the context was. Uh, number 10. The context was he was there. <laughs> he was there. <laughs> what more do you want? Uh, number 10. What was the top 100? Hang on, I've written this here and it doesn't make sense. Number one song in 19... Oh, no, it does make sense. It's just me. Number one song in 1979's top 100 singles list. Was it I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor? Yeah. Was it Bright Eyes by Art Garfunkel? Was it Another Brick in the Wall by Pink Floyd? Making another appearance there. Or was it Cool for Cats by Squeeze? I think I'd probably go for I Will Survive, but I don't think that would have been it. I'll go for One Brick in the Wall. It wasn't. It was Bright Eyes. Was it? Yeah. Bright Eyes burning like fire. Wasn't that used in um <laughs> in uh, the rabbit thing? Watership it Down. It was yeah. the most depressing film of all time. Mm. Richard Bryce was it not, wasn't he? Didn't he do a he voice? Was, yes. Yeah. Yes, he did. He did. Right, do you want to know your score? Yeah, I reckon I got four. Is that right? Let me just tot it up. One, two, three, four. 
Or five. You got five. Five, five. out of ten. Well, that's that, all right. That's sort of um, keeping me on track with my usual middling performance. Never, yeah. never too good, never too bad. They're easy if you know the answers. Yep. Oh, well, thank you for that. That was harder than your 1975 quiz. Was it, do you think? I think it was, mainly by virtue of the fact there were more questions and it made my brain hurt. <laughs> Okay, sorry. Well, you have a lie down now. <laughs> yeah, I've got a bit of a headache tonight. I was like, oh, fucking hell, USSR. Oh, Jesus. But never, never mind, that was good. I enjoyed that. I do enjoy these random quizzes, although we should dress them up next time, I think, in a blankety blank or... or um, I know, we probably should, shouldn't we? Yeah, or bring Brucey back or something. I can't do that, though. I can't do the voice. Oh, well, neither could I, but it didn't stop me last time. Did it? <laughs> no, it didn't. That's true. <laughs> Good game, good game. Oh Christ! I sound like I've had a stroke. Should we just get started? <laughs> Let's just get on with it. <laughs> this week, like I said before, we are on series two, episode three, which is Waldorf Salad. <laughs> So, as usual, we meet Faulty Towers outside the building and the sign outside is now, has now been rearranged to say Flay Otters. Hmm. And we're missing two Ws there, aren't we? It's not a perfect anagram. No. No. So, Ws have been robbed and we've got Flay Otters. And then we're in the dining room, which is very busy. It's very bustly. Lots of stuff going on. This is the third episode in a row where it's been mad hectic at the start, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. They're doing well. It must be the height of summer. Faulty and Polly and Manuel are very busy racing in and out of the kitchen, bringing dishes out. Sybil's just sat chatting with a guest who's in the centre of the room, talking about solitude, which is what she's not giving this this, this guest, who obviously is, is desperate just to be left alone. Yeah, he's not picking up on the hints, is he? Wittering away in his ear. There's a couple sat in the middle of the of the dining room uh, and the wife is insistent that the prawns are off, but she's eaten most of them already. <laughs> um, so Basil's trying to argue the toss with her that, well, you've eaten most of them, so so why are you giving me the plate back? The guests ask if, if it can be taken off the bill and Basil agrees to half, to which the husband of the couple says, well, if she brings up the other half afterwards, can we have the rest of it knocked off the bill when we leave? Yes. Which I think that's quite fair. Yeah, did you spot this guy was the same guy, gin and orange, lemon squash and scotch and water from the first series. The same guy reused again. He is. Mm. Terence Connolly, I think his name is, from Touch of Class, yeah. And, of course, um, Mr Dalby from The Good Life. Would you have noticed? Yeah. I don't know if I would. I mean, the thing is, because of The Good Life as well, We've never seen him in three roles. Yeah. So probably, yeah, you know, I wasn't going to miss him now, but yeah. I don't know. It's difficult. He, I mean, I know he was complaining. We'll get to it, I'm sure. But he was complaining later on about not getting his meal in time, and it was yeah. sort of reminiscent in in his delivery. So maybe I would have done. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps he, he's someone that I would have looked at and thought you look familiar, but perhaps wouldn't have known exactly where he was from. Other guests sat about the, the dining room, uh, complaining to each other about different things, like wanting water, um, the meat being very gristly. But the, the, there was two women that were sat together who did that very British thing of when the waiter came over. They were sat complaining, complaining, ooh, it's gristly, oh, look at this. And then Faulty comes over, or Manuel comes over and asks how things are. And they say, oh, it's, it's, very, it's lovely, thank you. <laughs> they don't actually say how bad yeah. the meal is, and they just sit through it and just... Just carry on, rather than make a fuss. But, the, I mean, everyone in the dining room seems to have some sort of complaint privately, yes. don't they? They're all The consensus is definitely that the food and the service is terrible, but nobody's speaking up about it. No, no. One couple asks a man well to, to, for the correct meal. They want, the, they want a salad, which they've not had, and he doesn't quite understand what's going on. And so they ask Faulty instead, who then fobs, them, fobs the, the, the couple off and then complains about Manuel in front of them. Poor Manuel's like, he's dashing about all over the place. It was quite clever, though, of Basil, because they were complaining and he turned it round and made himself the complainer, the yes. complainee. Yes. So that, and they were like, how did that happen? I thought we were complaining to him. And, uh, but he was just moaning that he had to pay Manuel's travel costs to get there over. from Barcelona, yeah. <laughs> Manuel brings another salad, though. 
before he as he puts it down, he spots that there's something in the salad. Do we find out what it is in the salad? Or are we just No, I was gonna ask like, you. Is it a slug were... or something? There's a bug or something in the salad, I'm I'm guessing. Well he he mimes some sort of flying thing, Manuel, doesn't oh, he? Oh, okay. But it's a fly literally a fly. Maybe it's a dragonfly from last week. <laughs> it is it's a horse from last week. They managed to take the salad away, get the thing out of the salad and put it back, uh, which just makes me feel a bit, a bit yeah. sick, to be honest, the thought of that. Yeah. Uh, the sugar in one of the salt cellars, and the woman's already sprinkled it all over a fish, so there's sugar all over her place, which leads to further confusion. What The ladies with the tough, the tough meat ask if they can cancel their fruit salads. I think they've had enough at this stage, mm. and they'd like to cancel their fruit salads, but... Sybil says it's a bit tricky because the chef just opened the tin. Ooh. Mm. You can imagine what that's going to be. It's just tinned fruit cocktail. You just you just leave, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. And evaporated milk. Ooh. I did like Polly's sass when, when Basil was um, saying to her, what do we pay you for? And she said, my staying power. Yes. I like it when she gives a bit back. Yeah. The bell goes in reception, so Faulty just sort of ditches what's going on in the dining room. He takes those plates with, with him, doesn't he? He's still got plates in his hands. He's still got meals in his hands. Uh, but he greets who we find out are the Hamiltons um, who have a reservation. So it's Mrs. Hamilton that he speaks to initially. I think he likes the look of her, doesn't he? He's a bit taken with it. He's sort of like, oh, you can see in his, in his face, he's like, oh, who's this? Yeah. She's a looker, isn't she? She's lovely. She's yeah. lovely. Mr. Hamilton fo- follows behind quite quite sort of quickly. And he's, he's thoroughly annoyed. He's, he's American. He's thoroughly annoyed with the traffic and the weather in the UK already, and he complains very, very out loud in the lobby. Faulty then decides to complain about him to the lady that's at the reception desk, which turns out obviously to be Mrs. Mrs. Hamilton, not knowing that it's her husband. Which is you feel embarrassed for for Faulty at this stage, don't you? Because you can see this coming a mile off. But Faulty gets really embarrassed and then tries to deflect it and tries to sort of smooth it over. What do you get for living in a climate like this? Green stamps, it's terrible. Sorry about this. Took five hours from London. Couldn't find the freeway. Had to take a little black street called the M5. Well, I'm sorry if it wasn't wide enough for you. A lot of the English cars have steering wheels. (laughs) They do, do they? You wouldn't think there was room for them inside. See what I mean? What? May I introduce my husband? More rubbish we get in here. Look at that. More rubbish, dear. The Hamiltons really want to sort of freshen up, have a drink and and then have dinner. But dinner's just finished. The chef's just finished his shift. So Faulty's trying to urge them to go in now, but Mr Hamilton's really not up for that. He said it's taken like five hours to get here. I want to just go and have an enjoyable dinner. He's so aggressive though, isn't he? Yeah. He bangs his hand on the reception desk. And he's and he's just oh he's just obnoxious. I mean I know we said we did this poll and and Mrs Richards mm. came up on top, but for me this guy's the worst. Do you think? Do, do you like him less than? Yeah, I I just think okay. his his manners are absolutely just obnoxious, and and I would just want to smack him. Mm. Faulty suggests that you can have some sandwiches instead, um, as the as the kitchen's now closed. And Hamilton again starts mourning about about the country, and he tries to give Basil some money to give to the chef to keep the kitchen open. And Faulty says it this Mickey Mouse money, as he calls it. Yeah, Faulty says that he'll see what he can do. While Manuel takes the the, the, the guests up to their room. <coughs> so in the kitchen, Faulty heads in to speak to Terry Jacko um, and asks him to stay behind. But Terry. He's all dressed up at this stage, which we don't, we've don't. we not seen this before. We've seen him in his like, chef's whites. We've never seen him dressed up, which I will mention further in Fashion Carter. Mm, I thought maybe he was going to Elmo's or something. <laughs> Elmo's pink wine bar. <laughs> um, he's, he says he can't. He says he's, and, but uh, Faulty doesn't offer him all the money from Mr. Hamilton. He tries to get away with giving him half of what Mr. Hamilton's given him, the yep. sneaky bleeder. Terry's all dressed up. He's off. He's off out. He's off to his class with Polly. He says he's he's not going to hang about behind to do any, anything. No cooking. But Faulty really does lay it on thick, and he's begging literally into it. He says, "I'll, I'll, you can have overtime and I'll and a taxi." And Terry wants time and a half so that he can still get to his. It is karate class. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. Dressed up like that. 
Well, this is this is why Polly lets the cat out of the bag. That is actually she does. It's not karate class at all, is it? He's he's basically turning the tables on Faulty, yeah, um, and blackmailing him for money because mm. he quite, could quite easily have blown off his his Finnish floozy, as Basil calls it. Yes. Hmm. So yeah, they're all heading out. Manuel as well. They're all heading out, out for a night on the tiles. So Faulty takes the money back. He's he's not interested. Yeah, this is interesting though, but it's I think it comes back to like jealousy because somebody else is sexually active. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's like, oh, right, so you're just going out with some woman. Right, well, forget it, I'll do it myself. Forget it then. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. He always seems to... Uh, that resentment almost, doesn't he? Mm. Back in, in the dining room, Sybil's... Um, she's reading, smoking and eating at the same time at a table, and the Hamiltons are brought into the dining room, and they order drinks, a scotch and water and a screwdriver, which throws Basil massively because he's no idea what a screwdriver is i'm guessing around this time these sort of cocktails and wine bars would have been quite big in the states perhaps they'd not made the way over the atlantic to the uk do you think maybe they had but they just hadn't made it to sort of provincial talkie yeah i can imagine maybe like in in the in the trendy centers of of the capital it would have been soho and stuff yeah yeah perhaps Made the way over there, but not to, like you say, not to the likes of Torquay. It's a good job that Mr. Hamilton didn't want a screaming multiple orgasm or sex on the beach then, isn't it? <laughs> Given oh that we God. are in Torquay. Faulty would have lost the top of his head, I think, if um, <laughs> that was the case. So the Hamiltons sort of make it clear that it's a vodka and orange juice. It's quite straightforward, really. Sybil begins chatting with the Hamiltons. They're from California. Sybil's mocking Faulty because of what he thinks about the climate. They start drinking drinking the drinks, but the orange in the screwdriver isn't fresh. Faulty says they've, they've opened a bottle. They've only just opened it. <laughs> but they want it from real oranges. They're from California. Of course they want it from real oranges. That's what they're used to. Well, it might be what they're used to, but there's no need to be so rude about it, is there? This is, this, this is like the difference, isn't it, between... I think this is highlighting the, the, the British guests earlier on that sat there and didn't say a thing obviously, because they're too polite, mm. which makes the Hamiltons seem a lot more extreme. Because I don't think it's unreasonable to say, oh, that, that orange tastes duff. No, I, I mean, she's fine. It's it's mainly him I have a problem with yeah. the way he does it. He's, he's really quite yeah. rude. But at the same time, it also highlights the difference between American ideas of service, which are so far in advance of British yeah. service, and that probably still applies today, albeit I've not lived in Britain in over a decade, I expect mm. that it's still as as average as it ever was. Yeah, yeah. Mrs. Hamilton, she seems like she's not as obnoxious as Mr. Hamilton, but she's quite no. s- snobby and showing off, I thought. Because she is British, isn't she? She is British and yeah. has moved out to the States. So that's perhaps, she's perhaps like a bridge between the two, two groups of people. She's doing that returning hero thing, like, oh, my life's so much better now. I think. Yes. Showing yeah. off to, to people back home. Mr. Hamilton orders a Waldorf salad at this stage. Um, yep. And this, again, after the screwdriver, <laughs> throws faulty. He's no idea what the Hamiltons are talking about and says, I think we're out of Waldorf. I love that line. It's brilliant. <laughs> He's no idea. He, he, I don't think he can even sort of compute what possibly might be. There's no even. There's no hint, is there? There's no hint with the name Waldorf salad, as to what it might be. So no. he can't even go and pretend to cobble up something. Incidentally, a Waldorf salad, fruit and nut salad, generally made of fresh apples, celery, walnuts and grapes, dressed in mayonnaise. Sounds nice, doesn't it? It does. Served on a bed of lettuce. Why is it called Waldorf salad? Any idea? Is it something to do with the Waldorf hotel? I know. I, I thought it maybe it was like the wall came from walnuts, but then there's no dwarfs in it, is there? No dwarfs. No, so. we've run out of dwarfs. <laughs> It does sound nice. I'd have one. I'd try one. Mm. Mr. Hamilton at this stage is getting he's getting irate with, with Basil. And he gets really loud and angry and gets in his face, but Faulty doesn't seem to rise to it as he has done with previous guests. He seems to take it from Mr. Hamilton as if he sees Mr. Hamilton as being more of a threat or more of an authoritative threat, perhaps. Yeah, I don't know if it's if it's. Yes, I agree actually, because he's he actually picks up a knife every time he gets angry. Did mm. you notice he he picks up his knife and turns around and sort of brandishes it? 
every time he's, he gets angry. So why wouldn't you see it as completely over it's the quite top threatening. and threatening? Yeah, mm. I was about to say maybe it's it's um, snobby Basil coming out wanting to ingratiate himself, but it's probably more I don't fear. think it is. No, I yeah. think it is fear. I think it is. Volty does try his best, though, to upsell the, the grapefruit and the pate as starters instead of the Waldorf salad. But that's what Mr. Hamilton wants. And Mrs. Hamilton wants a green salad followed by rare steaks. Which panic makes I thought, oh my god, <laughs> I can't imagine Faulty having the precision to put together a steak that's that's going to make this man happy. It's always just it's just going to be wrong, whatever he does. Mm. In the kitchen, Sybil walks in and Faulty is just flipping salad items out of out of a box, which it quite it made me laugh because it just looked like he was really frantic, just throwing things over his shoulders. He's trying to find the ingredients for a Waldorf salad. Well, he's moaning that there's no celery, and yet. I'm sure he picks up a piece of celery and puts it immediately. It might have been a leak. <laughs> it might have been a leak, but it looked like celery to me. Yeah. And I, he's going, well, there's no celery. And he just picks up a piece of celery and puts it down. I thought, hmm, continuity. He, he goes and spins a massive tale about the driver that brings all their fruit and vegetables being in an accident. Mm. So he's desperate. He desperately doesn't want to say, again, as we've highlighted in previous episodes, if he just said, oh, can you just tell me what that is? Oh, right, no problem. I'll sort this out. And credits roll. I know that's no fun for for a TV show, but with with all things misunderstanding and faulty related, a, a quick a quick question would have would have solved the the problem. But no, faulty is um just trying to trying to keep just trying to keep going and produce something that makes these guests happy. Well, he tries to convince them to have something that he's made up called a rich salad. Uh, yes, yeah. And they won't go for that either, will they? No. It's just digging and digging, like you say, and, and doing what he does. And the other thing he always does is overcomplicates things by not allowing Sybil to get involved. Because Sybil just basically says, well, you do the wine and I'll do the food. And if, yeah. if he'd listened, then we wouldn't have, again, we wouldn't have a show. But yeah, as we say every week, you just get frustrated with the guy, don't you? Yeah, when you can see it unfolding in front of your eyes. Sybil ends up coming out of the out of the, um, the kitchen with a green salad and a Waldorf salad very calmly that she's put together. So it's all been sorted. But you can hear Faulty in the kitchen pretending to shout at the chef. And he's doing, he's like acting out both parts, isn't he? He's like playing himself <laughs> and playing the chef while the couple are just calmly eating at their table. He comes in with, with two green salads now and explains that he's had, he shouted at the chef and he's told him off for not being able to put together a, a Waldorf salad and takes away Mr. Hamilton's salad and goes back to shout at the chef. Which Sybil then brings out again. So there's lots of there's tons of toing and froing in this um, in this scene. There is, and, and she actually says, uh, Mrs. Hamilton says at one point to Sybil, "Is your husband all right?" Which is yeah. which is the the most insightful line in the, in this episode because <laughs> clearly he fucking isn't. <laughs> Sybil sends Faulty to get the wine and to tell the chef to put the steaks on. He comes back into the dining room, however, with the wine and a hat on. <laughs> is that and to cover a bruise where she's clocked know. him one? I don't know. She did belt sure. him, didn't she? She followed him into the kitchen and then you hear him sort of wince and he she brings back his Waldorf salad. So I yeah. think he he must have a cut or a bruise or something from Sybil. It's like jauntily put on the front of his head, isn't it? So perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps. Um, he pours the wine and gives Mr. Hamilton a letter from the chef to apologise. It's just mm. getting worse. Um, he's now obviously trying to pass blame over to the imaginary chef. Mr. Hamilton says, Mr. Hamilton says not to worry, um, but Faulty reads it to him anyway um, to put all the blame on the chef. At this stage now, the smoke billowing out of the kitchen. Faulty goes back in to shout at the chef again. Um, Mr. Hamilton walks into the kitchen to see Faulty shouting to himself and acting out the row, <laughs> which is embarrassing. I'm really, I'm, I've got second-hand embarrassment for, for Faulty. Faulty turns around and sees Mr. Hamilton standing there and tries to say that the chef's run off. Oh, jeez. Yeah, he'll just never, ever, ever, ever back, back down, will he, no. or gracefully retreat. May I introduce Terry? And then, of course, there's no one there. Oh, God. It's so painful. And then I think that the Hamiltons at this point just lose it and they think, right, that's it, we're going. Yeah, they've had enough. They've had enough. They're upstairs getting their stuff to, to just leave. And Faulty's still lying about the chef at this stage. He's chasing them, isn't he? Oh. And that's when Hamilton loses it. And he says, how how big a butterball do you take me for? <laughs> What's a butterball? <laughs> a butterball. Um, is it not a turkey, a butterball? A butterball? Oh, I don't know. There's a lot of Americanisms there is. that he there uses is. that I'm like, 
My, one of my favourite ones is coming up. Okay. One of my favourite things that he just shouts randomly. He does say at this stage, though, that this is the crummiest, shoddiest, worst-run hotel in Western Europe. What I'm suggesting is that this place is the, the crummiest, shoddiest, worst-run hotel in the whole of Western Europe. No! No, I won't have that. There's a place in Eastbourne. <laughs> and that you are the British tourist board dancer to Donald Duck. Now, look, I, I, I know things ha- have gone wrong this evening, but you must remember that we have had thousands of satisfied customers. All right, let's ask them, eh? What? Let's ask them. Well, all the, all the guests have filtered through from the bar, they haven't have. they, to watch this spectacle unfold? They have. Um, Hamilton asks the other guests that are now standing, they're all collected together in the, in the lobby area, are you satisfied? And the major and the ladies, and other guests say that they are, yeah. That they are satisfied. So Faulty says, "Well, I'll refund your twenty pounds. I know how important that is to Americans." So he's he's getting a dig in. And then gin and gin and orange guy pops up. Then doesn't he? He starts a big speech, but yeah, he's interrupted by the the the, the other guests that are that are gathered to say that they are actually not satisfied. So they finally they finally plucked up the courage to sort of challenge Faulty, perhaps on the back of the Hamiltons doing the same. And Faulty says, "Well, people like you never are, are they?" <laughs> but you know when they're all complaining? Yeah. You see the guy in the dicky bow grab hold of his wife's shoulders and do this weird sort of <laughs> jig behind her. It's some of the worst acting I've seen, even by 1970s standards. He's just like, well, I'm not happy either doing this little weird jig. Oh, trying to get trying to get his money's worth, weren't he? I'm guessing. Trying to get his... Probably weren't supposed to say anything. Probably supposed to just stand there. I reckon they hadn't worked on their blocking properly in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no, I want to be seen in this scene. One of the guests pipes up, you are the rudest man I have ever met. And at this stage, Faulty's getting cross and he sneers. And he says, I haven't started yet. Mr Hamilton says that Faulty needs to stand there and let the guests have their say. And he says, move off that spot and I'll bust your ass. Which I thought was uh, was quite funny. To which Faulty replies, everything's bottoms, isn't it? So you can tell that he's, he's again, showing his... Um, resentment for for sex and anyone that's involved in anything sexually related he just seems to have a problem with it maybe and also maybe a bit of xenophobia that he just thinks that the american is crass yeah yeah because he is isn't he i'm not saying all americans are but this one is yeah he rhymes off all the things that have, that have gone wrong so the service is bad he's had to wait for food and it was wrong they've been fobbed off food's bad um to which Mr. Hamilton laughs and then shouts, hot dog. Satisfied customers, huh? <laughs> hot dog. Yeah, hot dog. He does that thing with his tie, he like forces his tie up into his throat. Yeah. And says, uh, satisfied customers, huh? Hot dog. Hot dog. <laughs> I love it. I love hot dog. Jump in front. <laughs> Dirt, you vicious bastard. Come on. <laughs> Faulty loses it now and gives them what for by shouting at them all. He says, this is exactly how Nazi Germany started. Oh, Germany again. <laughs> He's fed up with pandering to the likes of these guests and tells them to pack the bags and get out. And then Sybil says, what What are you doing? What What are you doing, Faulty? And Faulty says, well, they go or I do. Which you know the answer to this. You know what the result is going to be to this. Not only do we know, he knows. He, he doesn't does. even wait. He doesn't even wait for her. She just like gives him a withering look and he's like, right, change your plan. (laughs) So he heads outside, says goodbye, tells them all to speak to Sybil with any issues that they've got and he heads outside. You see him at the front of the hotel in the pouring rain and I think Mr Hamilton's on the phone at this stage booking taxis for everyone to to go. But Faulty goes back in, obviously realising he's not wanting to go out in the rain um, and tries to book a room at the hotel including bed and breakfast, a Waldorf salad, and a screwdriver. That'll show her. It's just a fade out at that point, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's almost a little bit anticlimactic, actually. I know what you mean. By faulty standards. I mean, he sort of has the last laugh by going in, but you feel like there could probably have been more there. Yeah. Um, almost like the more of a showdown between him and Hamilton or yeah. him and Sybil. After all the build-up, I think I wanted... Usually, I I know that we've seen like Sybil battering someone with a, an umbrella and 
something perhaps more physical. I, I don't know. It wasn't a massively physical episode, was it? It was more like a cerebral no. episode. Um, so perhaps, perhaps that's why. Manuel did get some physical abuse early on, and then the tie thing was a very physically intimidating act. Yeah. And I actually really wanted, because I really dislike this guy, I really wanted Basil to get physical in response with this Mr. Hamilton. Okay. Because although I know Mr. Hamilton's in the right, but he's so obnoxious with yeah. it. Yeah. There's ways and means, and it's not by being like that, I don't think, is it? No. I, I, I have to say, I think this is probably the weakest of the 12. Okay. Like I say, because of the anti-climax and because of, like last week, there was hardly any Polly or Manuel. Mm. Very much just Basil and Sybil like last week. Without the f- the frenetic nature of last week, which kept the pace going, you know? It mm. was very high octane, wasn't it? Yeah. It was this one, it's him to, uh, to and fro in from the Hamiltons in the kitchen having arguments with himself. Yeah. And it's you know it's funny, but by the, by his own high standards, I think it's the worst of the twelve. Okay. Mm. What did you think? Did you enjoy it? I did. I, I quite like the um, the the sort of change of of pace from being physical to something a mm. bit more verbal. It, it it all seemed to, and and I, I quite like the the change in in Basil's approach to the guests, he, the way that he almost feels that he can speak to the English guests the way that he does and when he's faced with someone who he I don't know whether he deemed Mr Hamilton to be more of a challenge and he just sort of took a step back and didn't didn't fight at first he just sort of took it which I thought was quite unusual one of the things about Basil's character which I think we can say is that he's a bully Mm. you know though he bullies Manuel and he bullies people who he sees beneath him and this guy's clearly not going to take any of that Mm. so Bullies tend not yeah. to like to be stood up to. Yeah. Did you choose any bric-a-brac this week? I did. I spotted it, and I don't know if you would have spotted the same thing. Okay. Because it's very much in our wheelhouse. It was a uh, the decorative spinning wheel near reception. Did you did you clock it? I didn't see the decorative spinning wheel near reception. No. Was it like the same one from The Good Life? Very similar. Yeah. <gasps> if it played music, I wondered if um, Tom Good had been down there and, and convinced Sybil to buy it so that he could start. He's in a loom <laughs> to make his own clothes. <laughs> oh. And it was just sort of tucked right right near the exterior door, so near where the uh, the gra- the grandfather clock is, very yeah. near to that. It was just sort of tucked behind the door, this okay. spinning wheel. Maybe it was used as a doorstop. Maybe. I don't know if it's necessarily representative of the 70s. You'd probably still see these type of things used as quaint little um, mm. bits of decoration, but I thought it, it was quite nice. And it took me back to the good life, which is yeah. always a good thing in my view. It is. It is. What about you? Mine was the screwdriver, just because it's something that you don't really see much anymore. You don't see cocktails never like like you said before, like the cold, like screaming orgasm or yeah, come on your face. Or slip, yeah, they are. <laughs> they get. They seem to get ruder and ruder and ruder, don't they? Yeah. Soapy titwang. Yeah, soggy biscuits. There's nothing ever just straightforward like a screwdriver anymore. Um, which is just, literally just vodka and orange. Yeah, although I wouldn't have even known that. I'm such a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, not Luddite. Such an ignoramus, as that <laughs> guest would have said. It's a good word. It's a good word. So yeah, yeah when I think about um, like early invention of, of like cocktails like that, alcoholic drinks, it does make me think of the 70s and that era. I think I'd have quite liked, quite liked Basil to have actually brought back screwdrivers. Would you? For the comedy value of seeing them go, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? Yeah, absolutely. I think they missed the trick there. Waving it at him really yeah, aggressively. in his throat. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of fashion, actually, isn't there? There was. It was yeah. a very fashion-heavy episode, I think. Well, with that in mind, shall we have a little trip over to Fashion Corner? You can tell us who looks like they should be meeting the Queen at the end of The Good Life. Oh, God, it's just a whole, a whole <laughs> host of um, all the guests. <laughs> well, well, it's, it's time, time to take a little trip. trip. To the place that long ago was hip. It's Fashion Corner. It's Fashion Corner. It's Fashion Corner. Fashion Corner. The dining room at the beginning of the episode, there's there's a whole host of of fashion on display, I I thought. Um, One of the female guests is in like a pale blue 
chiffon top with like a Peter Pan collar and ruffles. Ruffles are still big at this this end of the um, of the seventies. This had this top had like billowy sleeves, billowy chiffon sleeves. Um, obviously, a top that you'd choose for going out in, I think, in the seventies. One of the other female guests sat just adjacent to that table. She's in like a knitted green woolen dress with quite a wide collar, bronze buttons and um, pin-tucked details across the chest. It's a very vibrant green. uh, It's like quite Kermit green, really, this this dress that she's got on. I'm sure she wouldn't have um, sold it like that, but it's, um, yeah, I think it's quite Kermity. Mrs. Hamilton, when she arrives, is... She's like almost like a cut above, really, um, the, the, the English guests. She's in like a white, grey fur coat with a brown and grey silk necktie underneath. And the Hamiltons, are, I think they're supposed to look significantly different to the other guests, I think. They, they seem like, you know, like transatlantic, they're um, busy people, important people. Mr. Hamilton's in a brown suit, a Macintosh and Czech tie. Which, if you're travelling for five hours in the car, it's the last thing that I can imagine wanting to to put on, to be driving about in a in a suit. But you know, maybe that's why he's so cross and so angry. His suit was just too tight. Hmm. Well, that's it as well, isn't it? Seventies stuff. You know, you look at all the men wearing real ball cruncher kecks, gotcha. and you think that's not travelling gear. It's not. Serves you right, Mister Hamilton. Yeah, taking it all out on Basil. I know. She should tight trousers Terry Terry in his going out clothes alright Oh, he was an absolute delight I think he had on a navy and white floral shirt which I've not done this for a while but I thought that that was very reminiscent of I think Ted Baker did a line of shirts I only know this because my husband had one um, from like the late 2010s I don't think it was oh, Ted Baker I was yeah. thinking Ted Rogers <laughs> was it T1? I don't remember him releasing shit. Like dusty bin. <laughs> Sorry, t- yeah, I'm Ted- showing my ignorance again. Uh, this Ted Baker shirt wouldn't have looked, and if you'd have tra- sort of transplanted Terry into a TV show in 2012, I don't think he would have stood out mm. as being in the wrong place at the wrong time. He had navy trousers on, and his hair as well, in a very, very mod style. Virgin on Paul Weller circa 1982. Yeah, that's true. So maybe just ahead of his time, ahead of his time mm. by by years. And you, because you see that cut today, there's loads of lads that that sort of fans of like Paul Weller and um, mod and indie music. And mm. that haircut is something that you see quite quite readily today. Timeless. I, so I thought Terry looked quite modern, really. Well, when Polly comes in, her her dress sort of matches Terry's trousers, doesn't it? She got blue. She does have really blue. Yes, blue she does. Dress on. Mm. Oh, look at me spotting fashion things. Well done, you. <laughs> Polly's frock. Sybil. Sybil has a navy suit on with a white and blue check pattern shirt. She's got a little like lapel pin on her on her suit, but she she does wear quite often. She, she often has like a brooch or some kind of pin on her on a lapel. Um, but again, she looked very smart, as she as she does more often than not. I actually watched the Cruella, Cruella movie last night. Oh, right, okay. Was it any good? Is it the one with Emma Stone? Yeah, but I was struck how much some of Cruella's clothes were sort of Sybil-esque. Really? Ah, yeah. that's interesting. What, like sharp suits? Yeah, and brooches and things mm. like that, yeah. I'm not entirely sure what time period it was supposed to be. It was all a bit confusing, actually, but... um. Right, okay. And and certainly not everything that Cruella wore, because she was a clothes horse in this movie. Yeah. At times, she was quite Sybil-esque. Well, I think that says quite a lot about Sybil. Mm, perhaps. Not that she chops up puppies and makes coats out of them, but that she's no. just got that air of, I want to say, authority, or she's got an... I don't think... I think a suit on a, on a, on a, on a female gives an air of importance. Yeah, she has got an air, but I'm not sure if it's authority. I can't think what the right word is. Sort of like... um. Almost efficiency and organised. Efficient, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that is everything for Fashion Corner this week. A home run, aren't we? We've only got three left now. Wow, that's gone fast. Has, isn't it? Only three left. We've only done nine. It feels like we've been doing it a long time, to be honest. 
Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but the next one is um, The Kipper and the Corpse. I don't remember this one, so I'm going to be watching it literally from from scratch when I when I watch it. Okay. I, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, okay. It is, I won't tell you, as soon as it's fresh to you, I won't, I won't mm. refresh your memory so it's all new. Yeah. I did start watching, when I was recovering after hospital recently, I did start watching The Faulty Towers from start to finish, just watching them through before I started doing the deep dive. Mm. And I think I got, to, I got to the end of this one and then I haven't touched the last, the last couple, so these will be a nice surprise. A revisit. I think I've seen them in the past, but obviously not recent enough to, to remember what, what happens next. And as we're on this home run, we do need suggestions in advance of us putting it to the poll for the subject matter of Series 3. We're going to put it to the poll for our email subscribers and members of our Facebook group. So if you're not a member of the Facebook group, please join and then you can cast your vote as to what we will be deep diving in Series 3. I had a suggestion of Reggie Perrin this week. All right. Which I'm open to. Mm. I'm excited. I'm excited about the prospect of whatever because I think just... Deep diving it gives just gives you that chance to become a fan. I feel like I've got the the potential to find a new old favourite. Unearthed gold that yeah. we've never really particularly been our favourites in the past. But yeah. when you're forensic, as we've been mm. with these two shows, some people might argue because we do get things wrong. But when you are, you sort of you realise that what goes into them and the clever writing. And exactly, the, exactly. Yeah. And we we never we never sort of profess to be experts, just fans. You can email us at sedopodcast at gmail.com if you have any feedback or suggestions about our next series. Subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. Or you can visit our website, which is at sado.club, where you can buy us a coffee if you like to say thanks if you're enjoying the episodes. And you can listen to the episodes if you don't do podcast apps or watch the original original episodes of Faulty Towers, which, as Al said earlier, we embed in our episode notes page. There's also uh, Twitter and Instagram handles at Sado Podcast if you want to look us up on there and we post lots of random and quite interesting stuff to do with Faulty Towers, The Good Life and all sorts of other shit. So check us out. We'll see you next week for The Kipper and the Corpse. Good night, God bless and may your God go with you. Goodbye. Welcome to the next episode of the sitcom. No, no, it's not the sitcom at all. <laughs> Hot dog.